Hello and welcome to Robust Discuss with Sean and Brian. This is a podcast where we politically discuss our society and the various pathways we could take to improve it. We will dive deep into our morality, our government, and our lives with topic ranging from philosophical questions, some U.S. politics, and even current events. Just like today, because we will be discussing the student loan forgiveness plan presented by President Biden and the White House and just kind of talk about what we think, why we think it may or may not have validity, what we think that validity is, and kind of go over just overall the focal points of the bill and like of the procedure, I guess you could say, of the process of forgiving this amount of of debt that Biden plans to do. So uh, yeah, how are you doing today, Brian? Not too bad, you know, just fiddling around with the new mic that we got, (laughs) ready to talk (laughs) about... uh, Student loan forgiveness. All right. Yeah, it's been a good time. We, uh, we're we making a little bit of upgrades to the podcast. We hope you guys enjoy the better sound quality and the better process that we can come up with for y'all. But we'll dive right into it. So if you guys aren't aware, which if you aren't aware, I don't know. I mean, you, you must be aware that it's happening, but you may not be aware of the, the specifics. There we go. We're going to talk a little bit about that. So first of all, it's not a blanket relief. I don't know if anybody out there thinks it is, but it is not. It is not like wiping all of the debt that students have in the country. I know I was a little bit confused about that. I thought it was, um, you know, wiping away pretty much everything. But really, it's just, you know, wiping away a little bit just to uh, help stimulate the economy. Exactly. And that's what I think it does is it helps simulate the economy and helps add that process. But to get more into the specifics, the first question you need to answer to yourself is if you make less than one hundred and twenty five thousand a year or two hundred and fifty thousand total for married couples. First of all, no matter what your situation is with Pell Grants, you will not get any relief if you make over those numbers. So that's the initial point. It's not meant to go to people who could possibly afford to pay their loans back because, you know, they're a doctor now. They're making hundreds of thousands of dollars. They may have a little bit more of a disposable income. Specifically, off of the WhiteHouse.gov, like their briefing point where they talk about it, it says no high income individuals or high income household, which is in the top 5% of incomes, will benefit from the action. So it's specifically for the upper middle class and middle class and down. Especially. It has nothing to do with private loans either. So on that, like my understanding actually is I think it will still do some form of it, but it's a very small amount because how it's said here is it says um, the Department of Education will provide up to 20,000 in debt cancellation to Pell Grant recipients with loans held by the Department of Education and up to 10,000 in debt cancellation to non Pell Grant recipients. So my understanding then is I was previously talking about a friend who was saying he, he wouldn't benefit from it because he didn't have governmental loans, but maybe maybe I misunderstood or something or he misunderstood because if my if I understand this now correctly uh, he would still get 10,000 because I mean he works with me it doesn't make over 125,000 a year so he, he should technically still get the 10,000 since he doesn't have a Pell Grant it should still apply no matter the situation and, and not so much that he gets 10,000 but to keep it in perspective they're just forgiving $10,000 of debt Exactly. So it's not like a $10,000 check. It's like what you already owe in that $10,000. we are just going to back it up 
kind of thing. So yeah, that's that's definitely a balance there for sure. Because then also like the Pell Grant goes into 20,000. For example, someone like myself who didn't make enough money and did get federal Pell Grants, I would get 20,000 in the in debt cancellation should this pass. I owe, I believe like 28,000, I want to say. I mean, that would put me down to a pretty reasonable amount and a reasonable payment. My mom who decided later in her life to go back to college and become a nurse, she's now working as a registered nurse. She, uh, I don't know her the specific number, but she did get Pell Grants and stuff as well. And it's under 20,000. Hers would be wiped completely. She would have the complete freedom in that. I think that's a big thing I want to kind of segue into is like why I think this is important is we're going to talk about a couple of points. One, we're going to talk about the kind of the cost of college over time versus inflation and how things have changed. We're going to talk a little bit about President Biden's focal point about how with that skyrocketing college cost, federal support didn't keep pace. This is his way of like fixing that and kind of coming back to help with that. Beyond that, the final big point I want to talk about, which I believe also was the big point you mentioned on why you kind of turned to this as like, well, the thing that helped sell you on the idea, Brian, was the boost and the benefit that it has overall to the economy. Well, that and uh, I don't have to pay my student loans either, <laughs> although I don't owe that much. Uh, I only have like four, maybe five grand that would be wiped away with uh, this law being passed. And then do you have the, uh, did you get Pell Grants? Would you, would you technically qualify yeah, for that? I would. Okay. A thing we no- want to note there too, for anybody who's not sure about how that works, you only have four or 5,000 just because you qualify for 20. The rest of that quote unquote money doesn't go anywhere. You don't get like checks for the difference or something. Like if you have less than the amount you're getting, then it's just all gone. You would just have your four or five grand or whatever wiped from the 20. It's not like, oh, you technically are still get the other 16,000. Here you go. Like it doesn't work that way. They just, it just goes away. It's not like they're going to pay people 20,000. Right. I want to make sure I clarify that up because I feel like like people may have misunderstandings when they say we're giving 20,000 in relief. It's like, well, no, 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 no. We're not giving people $20,000. We are relieving them of $20,000 worth of debt and pressure. And that's another thing too, is these things are already paid. So like the schools have already been paid. The government has already used this money. So it's not a future money conversation because this money is already accounted for as gone within inflation and things like that. So like obviously getting it back would technically improve things like budget wise within the government, but not getting it back is not going to make it worse. It's just going to kind of keep it where it is. And then we'll, we'll get more into that to what the economy is later in the episode. But the big thing we'll kind of start off with is the historical cost of college and how it has risen over the years in comparison with inflation. It's been a skyrocketing cost. I mean, you can apply this argument to pretty much anything. Housing market is another one where people often go to to be like, hey, the cost of living inflation has been completely out of control in the last two, three, four decades. But when you look at the rise of the cost of college, a bachelor's degree back in like the 80s, you can go for like maybe a six, eight grand for all four years. That that right there would maybe get you through like a year of college, maybe two, depending on which college you go to. If you go to a uh, community college or a kind of lower end state college. But still, that cost has just been skyrocketing where our income hasn't. So you look at that and you can kind of say, hey, with with this new law being passed or as they're trying to decide whether or not they will pass it. It's almost like a uh, 
bounce back, if you will, kind of leveling things out if you look at it from that perspective. Oh, yeah. And to jump on that, too, it might even be a little bit worse than you just mentioned there, because in 1963, the average annual cost of tuition at a four year public college was two hundred and forty three dollars adjusted for inflation for 2022's second fiscal quarter. That would account to two thousand three hundred and forty eight dollars for a four year public college. At minimum, you're paying like 10, 20. 20. Yeah. Oh, totally. And that's the thing is in the first decade, this is going off of educationdata.org. If you guys ever want any of these links and stuff, please join our Discord. We have conversations there and we talk more about it and share those things with you. But since 1963, the average annual tuition inflation rate at a public four-year institution has been 65.8%. And then the average tuition inflation at a private has been 55 since 1963. It's just been drastically increasing. And so the examples also, too, in the, in the first decade of the 21st century, public four-year universities increased tuition at a 31.5% faster rate than average post-secondary institutions. The cost of four-year degrees and colleges has just constantly gone up and up and up. And it's not keeping with our income. And there's, there's a couple of reasons that this can happen. And they, they list the possibilities because you can technically not really attribute a single cause to it. They have a few direct points that I'm going to kind of list through here is the first one is the Bennett hypothesis that more grant aid and college student, like the more grant aid that a college student gets and their family may get, the more that they're willing to pay for tuition. So subsequently, that allows colleges to charge more because they're willing to get more. And so as like more opportunities came up, while we will get to the fact that the federal government hasn't improved and given you a lot, there are a lot of other private ways and like local things and things you can do to get grants and scholarships and things like that. Accumulating all of those in high school by writing like a lot of essays and submitting it, a $500 grant here, this or that, whatever, that all adds up and gives you so much more accessibility that that allows colleges to almost exploit that and charge more it's like if you're gonna buy a car right and you say hey i'm gonna spend five grand on a car and you win you know let's say you win a lotto ticket that gives you about 15 grand now you're like okay well i guess i wouldn't mind spending a couple extra grand for a nicer car let's say you find one that's 27 grand and you're like well i'll take the bullet just because now I have the opportunity to get this car. Yeah, exactly. It allows that. Like It makes you feel so more. the same thing with colleges. Yep. And colleges, I mean, how would they not recognize that, you know? So that's one of the reasons it's increasing. Another thing is what they call the golden ticket fallacy. Believing that a college degree would result in improved future earnings result in college students doing less in-depth research on the cost of college and tuition. I almost fully believe this because it is what is super preached to you as you start high school. Like, you need to go into college. It's what's going to get you a good thing. You don't want to end up like these people working without a degree. You don't want to end up in hard labor. You got to get a degree to go out and further your career. You got to do this. And then, like, there's this huge boom of that, I want to say, through the 2000s and 2010s and beyond, like, the whole time we were in school. And it was just, like, focus on you got to get a college education to get a good job. You got to get a college education to get a good job. Like, that's it. That was all the conversation. It was your golden ticket, as they say, to a better career and life and everybody did it. And now it's like, okay, um, it doesn't always work. 
And so what that allows is it as colleges become more expensive, they become more able to exploit students because the students are less concerned because they believe at the end of the road, it'll all be worth it because they have their golden ticket that gives them more money. And oh, I can pay that debt off no matter what. Like it creates a false sense of security because of how much college has been pushed as like the solution. Right. You know, obviously college can expand your horizons. The statistics don't lie. But the thing is, if you go to college just to go to college, no plan. You're not really we don't really preach going to college with a purpose. We just kind of preach go to college no matter what. I mean, my own parents were like, we don't even care what you do. You just go to college. Right. So that's not to, uh, you know, down talk college because it's important. It can be the difference, but it's not really going to matter if the degree you get isn't going to be one that can lead to being profitable, if you will. So, I mean, if you go and be an engineer, like sure. But if you get maybe like I can't really think of a, a bad degree off the top of my head. But if you go to something that you're maybe not passionate about or maybe is not high paying off the bat, are you really making a profit off of the money that you spent on that degree? Yeah. I mean, maybe you are, but how long is that going to take to um, pay off your debts and start to see like, okay, I'm really starting to um, live. I'm starting to more than just pay my bills. I'm starting to have a life. I mean, no, you're not. And that's the thing. And another thing to that is me personally, I only went to two years in college and I ended up in restaurant management. I still make a decent amount compared to other people who went to college. Nothing crazy. Right. But when you look at it, it's like, did I really lose out? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I feel you. You could even look at me. I mean, I've had some interviews here and there and I'm, I'm hoping to get some better opportunities coming up. But I mean, I went and got a four year bachelor's degree in, in history and I'm still working in retail at the moment. Obviously, I still have a lot of plans to use my degree and I'm still working toward that. But that is that situation of like, I haven't got to that point in the field yet because there's a lot of extra like red tape to get into the field I want to get into and things like that. And then there's competition and like issues that surround that as like people to put faith in you is like you're always like, oh, yeah, you did college but you don't have experience yet it's like finding that person to give you that that first step of experience can be difficult sometimes so it's definitely uh that golden ticket fallacy you know you, you do what you think you need to do to get your degree and then you're sitting there with that degree that you haven't figured out a way to use yet necessarily but this analysis goes on they have things like that they call the invisible menu like the published prices of tuition doesn't always include like grant aid or discounts they may receive so the true cost that you end up personally paying may be very obscured so it causes issues for competition and things like that. They talk about like geographical competition that like if you only have one or two colleges that are in your local area and you can't afford to live on your own, you need to live with your family. Like small local colleges can keep tuition rates rather high and kind of exploit their area. Even big colleges can reverse that where people will travel across the world. They know they got the name for it. You know what I mean? Like they have the reputation. So they just charge extraordinary rates because it doesn't matter. You get to say you went to so-and-so like it's the connection to it. and like maybe that does have more merit like that yeah obviously you know you pay for that quality and things like that sure i'll give them that but there definitely has to be some exploitation going on there on both sides the worst are colleges that are just taking advantage of the lack of mobility of their immediate surroundings like communities and then the vice versa who are taking advantage of the massive mobility of the country that draws their name in they just can throw yeah. it so. and then um the final thing they cover is they say regulation or accreditation 
government and like federal subsidized make it difficult for them to emerge in like a, a form of competition. And so like there is no battle almost of colleges like, oh, we cost this, we cost this. Oh, well, we cost this. Like that's not their most of the selling points because there's so many other opportunities out there. Because you look at it and I think back to high school, you're not pitched at high school to pick the college that's the most affordable. You're pitched to pick the college that you want and then make it affordable by grants and scholarships and applying through this and get this to help cover it. That's a big selling point. They do that selling point. Like for example, with us working at Chipotle, a thing of Chipotle was they would pay a stipend for your college as long as you were getting good grades. There were like a multitude of colleges you could pick from and things like that. It wasn't about picking the most affordable college. It was they gave you X amount of money to go to the college you were at. And like, that's the thing is like, they don't advertise that way. I mean, maybe some do, but most of them advertise as like, we're the best college for you, right? They want to make it the why you should be there and what it matters to you as a person, right? And so they do that as of like, what matters to you as a person rather than, oh, we're maybe cost effective. And so instead, you're preached all throughout high school and everything to make it affordable yourself. So that just allows colleges kind of a loophole to be like, yeah, we can, we can charge maybe a couple thousand more here or there because like nobody's going to call us out on it. Right? right. The lack of competition is just it allows them to do just that. I mean, if you think about like a um, gas stations, for example, how you have two right next to each other and one is three dollars and 50 cents per gallon. The one next over is going to be three dollars and forty nine cents per gallon. Right. So that competition would be get better prices, although you're looking at the same gallon of gas. So you have to question, where does that quality start to drop off? Sure. If you're talking about Harvard versus your local community college, yeah, there's a big difference. But maybe your community college versus a state college or a state college versus a university, you start to question, we're like, OK, is a degree from one place value that much more significantly than another place in the long run? Also depends on the degrees you get in um Again, how those colleges are and universities are valued, but you have to kind of think like, hey, they're all accredited. Like I'm getting a very similar education. Why am I paying so much more? It's because colleges or certain colleges are kind of banking on the fact that they're not going to get called out for that. Yep. And that's the thing. And like to further show this. We're going to talk more about some of the numbers that were increased. So you specifically talked about like the 80s as an example earlier. Adjusted for inflation. So this is the number adjusted for current inflation, like for 2019 to 2020. A four-year college full-time, including tuition, fees, room, and board, would be $10,231 in 1980. By 2019 to 20, the total price would be 28775 That would be a 180% increase. It is a massive, massive increase. Nothing else has kept up with that anywhere in our economy. Definitely not on minimum wage, which, you know, we've talked about that. Some previous episodes you guys can check, check out. Check it out. But definitely not our inflation rate as it has actually surpassed it. College has gone up at a faster rate. Like you can't just say it's like, oh, yeah, of course it costs more. You know, things cost more nowadays. Inflation. Yes, it does. But inflation is like one line and what it would cost nowadays if it were relatively the same, even if not a little bit more expensive, not like almost two to three times as expensive as it was like it is getting exponentially out of control. Yeah, like these numbers are already including the inflation. 
Yeah. It's not that it costs ten thousand dollars back in the day. It's just with inflation, that's how much they were paying compared to today's prices. And yeah. today's prices are already more than that. So to kind of reiterate, in 1980, you would pay $10,000 in today's economy for a 1980 degree. But yes. today in 2023, you're paying almost 30 grand, almost three times uh, the amount. And that's exactly that's exactly the issue. And that's also something that the White House specifically talks about in their briefing on their website. They talk about the cost of attending colleges and they have that actually exact graph where it's like 80s is like eight to 10 ish thousand right in there. And then getting up into 2021, it's like up in the higher 24,000 range. Right. But then it also shows federal support. And that federal support line is almost like straight, man. It actually went down during the 90s and then like came back up went down, came back up, and it's been a pretty almost straight line since like 2010, probably, it looks like seven, maybe 8,000. That definitely kind of like going up around 2010, seven, 8,000. So that's the thing. That's that's basically his point is that he doesn't think federal support has kept up with that and he wants to do that. The final point that we had about the whole process is we believe, well, I believed, I told this to Brian before we recorded the episode and he was like, damn, maybe, maybe you're right. That kind of sways my opinion a bit. So what that is, is it's kind of a belief that, and it's not just our personal belief, this is backed up by quite a bit and by the numbers of the people that are restricted by these student loans, is it would provide a massive boost to our economy in terms of releasing a load of pressure that currently restricts the middle class. This amount of money that they owe and the payments that will resume following the break that's happened through COVID and things like that will cripple the amount that they can spend their ability to get out and do things and work and just live their lives. And that has a very crippling effect, as we saw during COVID, when people weren't getting out and living their lives. And so giving them that relief and giving them that great amount of pressure taken away allows them to then go out, have extra money, spend it on things, put it back into the economy, small businesses, things like that, like your local places, right? That's where they'll be going because they're not paying a couple hundred dollars a month every month to the government for something that's skyrocketed out of control. Right. Kind of think about it like this. It's like when you look at the uh, middle class, we're the ones who are the backbone of the economy, who grease the wheels, because if you look at poor class they're not trying to spend their money like that. They don't have money to spend like that. And if you look at the rich, especially, you know, the really, really rich, they know how to maneuver their finances in such a way where they're not really spending their own money. A lot of those people use debt to make their riches, put a lot of money away into different accounts that isn't really always going back into the economy and fueling it. So the people who need assistance is the middle class, the people with degrees who are going to spend money, who are going to keep the cycle going so we don't crash. And you know that they're going to use the money. Um, sure, people are going to save. But again, with the cost of inflation, a lot of their money is going to a lot of their money that they're saving from that uh, debt assistance. It's going to be spent on bills. It's going to be spent on groceries. If I had three hundred dollars extra a month, I might be like, OK, well, I guess we can go out tonight, you know. So uh, a lot of that money is going to be it's going to help local businesses that can go. Hey, well, we're seeing a rise in our profits 
cuts in our revenue. So that means we have to start hiring more people to work jobs. So jobs are going to increase. So overall, it can stimulate the economy really well. And what I really like about it is it's not really the government printing out more money and worsening inflation. It's just them saying, hey, you don't have to pay this debt back because if it were that case, I don't know if I'd be that supportive of the idea, although I do agree that college tuition is insane and that needs to be tampered and government spending is also out of control and that needs to be tampered. But this is a solution that eases both. Yep, pretty much. And that's that's a big thing is I think it does ease both without taking out specifically more money. That's kind of what we were saying at the beginning when we were covering our, our agenda for the day is that it's not necessarily a more money. Like this money already has been dealt with, existed, paid. The schools have the money. The money's already gone. It's just not getting back. So it's not getting worse. It just won't improve from that. And so we have kind of come to the conclusion that it's kind of worth that step because of the then boost that will follow, like you just mentioned, and all those ways with the economy and things like that. And yeah, and that's why those kind of points are the total amount of why we think this isn't a bad thing and Biden should be allowed to let it pass. I understand that that can be taken as a very like far left thing to just immediately be like, yeah, forgive the students like they took out loans. They shouldn't they should have to pay it back. And it's like, I I just don't think it's that simple with how much things have changed in cost. Like we pointed out with the boost this would provide to the economy, the fact that it's not going to change the inflation rate and things like that as much as as people may think and things like that. Like there's a lot of reasons why we, we kind of think it should be possible. So it's kind of where we land, landed today. Personally, not to get into too much in our personal politics with our podcast, we want to be as objective and unbiased as we can and kind of look at different niches of society and politics that aren't often talked about. But with this, this is somewhere that initially you might think like, OK, this is kind of a Democrat's agenda push. And it's not so much because... I don't lean left like that. Right. And I can see the value of this program and how it can assist everybody. Yeah, exactly. So that's kind of where we've landed. And we, we hope that people can listen and kind of either feel that same way or if you don't feel that way and you're looking for that interaction pathway to talk to us and let us know you don't. You can connect with us on Twitter at Robust Podcast. And then we also have a Discord server that you can join to talk with us and have conversations with fellow listeners. And there's also a pathway in that Discord server to support us and subscribe for some behind the scenes content and help us further our podcast and our conversations together. So thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. See you.